Welcome to Vineyard Church Dungannon, a place where lives are being changed. The following message was given at one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information, visit vineyarddungannon.co.uk. We are in the book of Mark and um, the Gospel of Mark. And one of the things about um, Mark when he was putting together this gospel is um, he would have been uh, around and actually I would just discovered this this week that one of the things about Mark is he was actually cataloging and had accumulated all these stories of Peter the Apostle but when he came to like kind of sort of collate them all and put them all down he um, was very intentional in how he was going to tell the story of Jesus through these stories from Peter it was so intentional. Um, and I know we've said this before as we've been in this series, but there's an intentionality in how each of these chapters are, are put together. The words that Mark used, the terminology, all of it is incredibly, incredibly intentional. It's not like, I don't know if any of you keep a journal. Anybody keep a journal? No? Anybody used to keep a diary when they were wee? Yeah, yeah. And hide it. Did anybody have one with a lock on it? Yeah, with a wee silly key that didn't even work anyway, so it didn't really matter. And yeah, I was always so afraid my mother would find my diary. Not in truth that there was anything all that very exciting happening in my life. I just wanted to keep something back to myself. But if I was to publish any of my diaries, but I mean, honestly, the world does not need to see any of my diaries. um, You would find in there, there's just like a wee bit of a brain dump. It's just kind of like, dump all the things that are going on or, you know, had my lunch at 12.45 today or whatever exciting thing was happening in Tobermore in 1984. Um, You know, whatever was going on. But there's no real, what I'm saying is, there's no real structure or kind of, you know, a form to what I'm saying. It's just my diary, my journal. And I think that sometimes I've been guilty of approaching the Gospels like that. It's almost like I think that the writers are almost doing a brain dump where they're just getting down all the stuff that happened and they're cataloging all the events and all the things that happened. But actually what we see in these writers is they have carefully crafted a book for us that, that tells us more than just information about Jesus but actually causes us to be formed by Jesus as we read them. So that's just what I want to say before I jump in this morning, that then when we go to the, and I think especially because the Gospels are so familiar, especially for those of us who have grown up um, in Northern Ireland, especially when, when through primary school, we've been listening to the Gospels and the stories of the Gospels all right from we were in P1. And that's a brilliant thing. But sometimes in that familiarity, then we can just become so familiar with them that we don't take the step back and go, wow, these guys really knew how to write. They really knew what they were doing. So um, today I have chosen um, just a few verses from Mark 2 that I want us to turn to. So if you you have your Bibles with you, if you turn to Mark 2, and it's actually not 13 to 27 because I cut it back. I was actually going to do 13 to 27. This is a way. I loved how Milan, Milan this morning, I loved how you gave us an insight on how you um, plan your set. So helpful, isn't it? To know that these are not just random songs we're picking or we're not just picking our top four favorites every Sunday. But actually there's a, there's a reason behind it. There's a journey that we want to take you on. And this morning, a part of my journey was I was going to do three separate stories today and I was going to try to find a common thread and everything um, but 
the more I did that, the more I was just drawn back to these, these few verses in verses 13 to 17. That's where I was drawn, and I couldn't get away from them. And every time I tried to go and sort of widen it out further to get to verse 27, I just kept being brought back to this one part. So that's where we are going to zoom in on today. So Mark 2, 13 is where we're going to start. But before we read those verses, have you ever felt like you're someone on the outside? Have you ever felt like an outsider? Now, for some people in their lives, they go through their whole life feeling like an outsider. But hopefully for the most of us, it's not that we feel like an outsider all the time, but there's moments and places that we step into that all of a sudden, it's like you just from like, oh, I don't belong here. I don't belong here. I, I, I feel like I'm an outsider. And there can be many reasons for that. Sometimes it's the people who we're with in that environment make us feel like we're an outsider. Or sometimes it can just be our own internal voices in our head saying that we don't belong that make us feel like we're an outsider. But I think for all of us who have experienced that at some time or other where we felt like we're an outsider. Um, and in, in our society right now, in the world right now, um, the world has become so polarized and that it's harder to live in this, this middle space of life, isn't it? It's harder to, to kind of hold things in tension and not be one or the other. And, you know, not to have um, a strong opinion for one thing or another or not to get drawn into these tribes. There's so many tribes at the minute and, and it's not okay to just say, I don't want to be in a tribe. That seems to really annoy people even more than being in one tribe or the other. If you try to say, no, no, I don't really want to be in that tribe. I don't really want to be in a tribe. Can I just be here? Nope. Which tribe again? You know, and that can be from anything. That can be from, I'm a vegan. I'm not a vegan. You know, that can be like, Ali Moore, you just look like a vegan to me. <laughs> Do you know what I love? I love that we're not being recorded anymore. Um, that's so fun. Oh, I am being recorded. Sorry. Great reminder, Ashley. Thank you. There's just no camera, but I'm still being recorded. Okay, I need to behave myself. All right. But this, this whole idea that we're constantly trying to be pulled into being one or the other. You know, for me personally, I find that I, and, and this, is, this is through every area of my life, so, so hear me in this. This is in everything. This is in politics. This is in, in my faith. This is in every area of my life. I find that I am way too liberal for conservatives, but I am way too conservative for liberals. So I find myself in this middle space of going, I'm not either. I'm like, and I'm not on the fence either, but I'm just not. That, that terminology, those, that way of looking at the world, that way of viewing the world doesn't fit me. And, and it's, I find it harder, this middle space seems to be disappearing more and more. Anyone else identify with that? So here we, I'm going to turn to Mark too. Jason's probably thinking, where is she going with this, Michelle? This is not what we talked about in the car at all. Um, but as we turn to Mark 2, I want us to remember that, that idea of feeling like an outsider is an insider. I want us to remember that feeling that we have where we're being torn towards one or the other. But innately and in, in, in the middle of us, we know there's another way to live, right? We know there's another way to live that everyone is more than how they, the world or anyone wants to define you or put a label on you. You're more than that. And we know that in the gut of who we are. 
And I want us to remember all that as we read this account. I'm going to start by reading verse 13, and we're going to slowly read through these few verses. We're going to go a verse at a time and see what Mark is wanting us to hear in these verses, and also what Jesus wants to reveal to us about himself as we read. So verse 13 says this, Once again, Jesus went out, went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. If Mark was to summarize Jesus' ministry, he would use one word, and it's Ediaskin. I don't have it on the screen, and I'm sure I haven't pronounced it right, but that's the word that, that Mark uses to summarize Jesus. If Mark was to summarize Jesus' ministry, and it's basically translated as he began to teach them. We see time and time again where Jesus teaches people. And Mark repeats this description elsewhere in the gospel to describe Jesus as a teacher. And Jesus, we find, just doesn't teach a select number of people, but neither is he a teacher who stays in the one place. He doesn't just, we find Jesus, don't we, in the synagogue? Do you remember at age 12, we find him in the synagogue and he's teaching there. So we find him in the place of where the teachers of the law would be. We find him in the place where would be his place of worship as a Jewish man, young man, and as a man. We find him in the synagogue and he's teaching there. But we also find Jesus out and about. It says, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. Jesus is out and about. And as he's out and about among people, not just those who are observant Jews who would have been in the synagogue, but out and about among everyone, we find that Jesus is teaching. And he doesn't just stay in one place and expect people to come to him. Although what he finds is no matter where he goes, people come to him. So he doesn't have to stay in one place because wherever he is, people come towards him. But he, he, he shares his words and his teachings with everyone. Again, back to that tribal thing. There is no, it's everyone for Jesus. The Samaritan woman at the, at the well gets to receive the words of Jesus. All these people get to receive the words of Jesus. And then we see Jesus that he, yes, we see him in the synagogue teaching. We see him in the marketplace teaching. We see him beside the lake. We see him on the lake in a boat. We see him in all these places teaching. But we also see him drawn close and near to those who are considered unclean. Now, back in the day, you could have been unclean for many, 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 many reasons. And the Pharisees were particularly fond of telling people how all the reasons and ways, ways they may be unclean. So they went above and beyond even what the law said about the whole thing of being unclean and clean. People who were sick would have been considered unclean. Do you remember the lady with the issue of blood? She was considered unclean. There are other people who maybe were, were blind or there was other, other accounts where people were sick or born that way. And the, the general consensus at the time would have been, oh, there's sin somewhere in your family. This has happened as a result of sin. So even people who were disabled, people who were, were sick, who were just on the very, already the most vulnerable in society may have been considered unclean. And we find, where do we find Jesus all the time? Jesus is among what's considered the unclean. He just doesn't seem to see these tribes. He just doesn't seem to see 
the clean and the unclean. He just sees people. He just sees people in need of God. He sees people in need of him as God. He sees people that are sick who need healed. He sees people who are poor who need to hear the good news. He needs people, he sees people who are bound by whatever is binding them in their life and he sees that they need to be free and Jesus just sees the swathe of humanity before him who need to be rescued by their Messiah. And as he teaches, Jesus teaches and he's teaching about the king and the kingdom and he's saying, I am the king, the Messiah that you've been waiting for is here and I'm going to bring in this kingdom and my kingdom is one where where there is freedom, where sin and death is destroyed and annihilated forever and where, where there is life and freedom and love for everyone and where there are no longer insiders and outsiders. So in the midst of this, so Jesus is teaching and he's doing all of this and he's, he's doing what he does and Mark is clearly showing us that this is who Jesus is and this is what he does. We come to verse 14 and it says, As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. And he says to him, Jesus says, follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Follow me. Imagine Levi. Levi is a tax collector. Now, I really tried really hard to contextualize to bring into like our modern day what a, what a tax collector would be like. And I'll be honest, I find it really difficult. Because we don't really have the equivalent nowadays. You know, we don't have, you know, and I've heard people preach, and I don't disagree with them, I've heard people say before, well, they're like loan sharks, which they would be like people who um, really cruelly took money from the most vulnerable and from people. That's a, quite a good example. I've heard people describe them like human traffickers, like the absolute worst, most despised people, you know, like, like, like that kind of an image in your head. Imagine like sort of trading in, in humanity in some way, and that's how I've heard them described. And, and that's also not an unfair description, I don't think, but it's just like I don't think we can really, really grasp what it was like. These people, the tax collectors, they worked for the Romans and also they worked locally in the area and it was their job to pay to get the taxes off ordinary everyday people. But they didn't just take the taxes off them that they were due, they also skimmed a bit off for themselves because otherwise that's how, how else were they going to get paid and, and there was just all this, they were despised by the Jews but also they would have been despised by the Romans because they were just doing their dirty work for them. So they're these people that were hated by everyone around them. Could you imagine how outsidey that would feel? We don't often try to identify with the humanity of the tax collector, do we? We don't often try to think about how did Levi end up a tax collector? He had a Jewish name, Levi. He was a Jew, we can assume. How did this young Jewish person, this young man, how did he end up becoming 
despised by his own people. Hardened. You see, to be a tax collector, you're already deciding that you can be a Jew, but you can't be a Torah-conscious Jew. You can't be someone who really follows the Torah because of your proximity to Gentiles, because you didn't just take taxes off the Jews, you just took taxes off everyone who came past your booth. So they were already then outlawed and, and kept apart from their own faith or their own religion that they'd been brought up in. They were outsiders. And any Jew who collected taxes, they were disqualified as a judge, they were expelled from the synagogue, and they were an absolute disgrace to their families. Yeah, they were pretty other, weren't they? Outside, the tax collectors. And Jesus is walking along during the day, and there is Levi in his booth. There he is. There's his booth. Levi's there, collecting his money, doing what he does. What is it about Levi that makes Jesus stop? I think that's one of the questions I'm going to have for Jesus when I see him. What was it about Levi that made Jesus stop? But he stops. And he asks him to come follow me. Now, when I used to read this as a young girl, I used to just imagine Jesus meant, I'm going here, you're coming to follow me. We're going down the road. You know, that's what I had in my head. You know, Jesus said, come follow, come on, Levi, follow me. And we're going to walk together. We're going to go down the road. But the invitation to follow Jesus is so much more than that. Jesus was a rabbi. Jesus already was a teacher. You know, I talked about how he was established as a teacher. Mark is making that really clear to us in his gospel. Jesus was known as a teacher. He was known as a rabbi. So for him to invite Levi to follow him, just like whenever he invited the fishermen at the side of the lake and he said, come follow me, this was an invitation into a whole brand new way of living your life. This was an invitation to apprenticeship. This was like somebody rocking up the spectrum on Monday morning out there at New Mills and saying, I want to be an apprentice. Or spectrum coming in here and saying, I want an apprentice. Be more like it and saying, come with me, follow me. You're going to be my apprentice. But this is what it was like. This was like a proper invitation into something so much more than, come on, we're going to go dander down the road together. And Levi gets up and follows Jesus. He was being invited into a place of discipleship. He was being invited in to Jesus, in with Jesus in a way that he had not been invited in before. The religious establishment kept him out. You're a tax collector. You can't come here. You can't even worship in the synagogue. He would have been expelled from the synagogue. He couldn't even go there. And here's Jesus coming along, this teacher and the, and the rumors would have spread about what Jesus was doing. Jesus had already performed miracles at this, at this stage. He would have probably heard of what Jesus was doing. And Jesus comes along, and I'm sure he's thinking, but Jesus, I'm a tax collector. What are you doing? Do you know who I am? Do you know what I do? Do you, like... Why would Jesus want a tax collector as an apprentice? It just doesn't make any sense to me. Verse 15, 
While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Next, we see Jesus at Levi's house. He's come right into Levi's home. Jesus didn't come and take Levi and say, come on, Levi, I'm going to clean you up first. If you're going to be my disciple, the first thing you're going to do is we're going to clean you up. We're going to make sure that you're Torah observant. We're going to make sure that we put you right back on the straight and narrow again. And we're going to get your life all cleaned up on the outside. And we're going to make sure you do all these things. And then you can be my apprentice. No, Jesus says, come follow me. And the first place that Jesus goes is to Levi's house. Right to where he belongs. See, Jesus doesn't just tolerate outsiders in the marketplace or in public places. He goes to where they are, right into their homes. He goes to Levi's house. And there is a meal, there is this Middle Eastern feast. I would so love to go to one of those. Anyone else love to go to those? Every time I read about these Middle Eastern feasts, I am like seeing hummus and chickpeas. And I'm seeing all sorts of lovely flatbreads and all the rest. But all the lovely Middle Eastern food, that's what I'm seeing in my head when I'm imagining this Middle Eastern feast. And and I'm seeing cushions and it all being lovely and warm and everything. That's what I have in my head. Anyway, but there's this meal, there's this Middle Eastern feast. And it's traditional where where the guests would recline uh, at the table and and they would feast and they would eat and they would chat and they would enjoy each other's company and, and it'd just be this, this melee of people. And do you know what? This isn't a quick cup of tea on the sofa. This isn't, this isn't Jesus coming in and just politely sitting with his wee teacup and having a wee cup of tea, passing himself. You know? Isn't that what we do sometimes? Honestly? I feel that. Holy Spirit, I feel that. That's what we do. We pass ourselves. Jesus doesn't just pass himself. He goes right in. And the language changes in this verse where it becomes like, like really, like Marcus describing Jesus as the host. Jesus becomes the host at this meal. Because it's his, it says, many tax collectors and sinners waiting with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So all of a sudden, Jesus goes to Levi's house and there is a crowd. And there's everyone and anyone. And there's these people, there's disciples who have already followed Jesus and they're there. And then we have more tax collectors and they're there. And then we have more sinners there. We have more people who are, who are the, the outsiders of society, the outsiders that no one wants to eat with or be seen with. And all of a sudden there's just all these people all there. And this is a huge deal. This is a huge deal for Jesus to be there. But he's not just there passing himself. He becomes the host. No wonder the Pharisees and the scribes were losing their minds. They were losing their minds. Going, what is he doing? What is he doing? 
See, maybe some of the teachings that Jesus was teaching, maybe they didn't disagree with that. Maybe they're like, you know what, well, we could debate that. We could talk about the law. We could debate the law together. You know, we could have a bit of back and forth about that, about what the law means and all that. Maybe, you know, maybe Jesus isn't a bad teacher. Maybe, you know, I, could, I, can, I can be, can pass myself with him on that level. But no, 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 no. He has just overstepped so much. He has gone not only does he go up to a tax collector and talk to him and initiate with him, you know, you would have been unclean if you even touched a tax collector. If you touched them while you were dealing with them, you were unclean. And here's Jesus in Levi's house. And this act of Jesus was bathed in extravagant grace. To eat together in those days was an act of oneness. Of going into someone's house and sitting and eating with them and reclining around the table together. It was saying, I'm part of your tribe, in a way. I'm part of you and your household. And for the guests coming in, it was saying, you're part of my household. So we see Jesus as the guest and we see him become the host where he's saying, come to me. All of you. See, it was a huge deal with who you ate with in those days. And Jesus is here eating with those who are considered to be the worst of the worst. And the truth is, many of them were the main gangsters of the day. I am not whitewashing this in any way. Some of these people were like bad people doing terrible things. They weren't just all lost and a bit sort of led astray. Some of them were, you know, they would have been like the gangsters of today, the drug dealers, the human traffickers, those who are extorting the vulnerable and the needy for their own gains. Yes, they would have been those people around that table too. But Jesus comes and he comes to them because there's no outsiders and insiders with Jesus. See, we know the whole story of Jesus. We've read the end. Well, actually, the end's still to come. We're not at the end. There is no end with Jesus. But we know the end of Jesus' story here on earth. We know that he, he lived through his ministry, that he healed the sick, that he um, met with people where they were. We know all that, and we know that he died, that eventually he came to the cross where he carried our sins like we sang today. He carried our sins for us on our behalf. He took it into himself. And in his resurrection, he defeated sin and death forever annihilated sin and death on our behalf. We know the end of the story. We know that that's who Jesus is. But in this moment, the story is only beginning to unfold. It's only beginning to unfold. But in this moment, Jesus is showing us the extravagance of his grace. Jesus is showing us that there is not one person alive has been, is, will be. There's not one person alive who is not invited to come and eat at his table. Jesus' extravagant grace covers all of sin. Jesus' extravagant grace, Jesus' act of complete and utter love and surrender on the cross when he died for us in our place changed everything 
when he rose from the dead and he annihilated sin and death, everything changed forever. But they can't see that yet. For those around, I wonder what they thought. We know what the Pharisees and scribes thought because they were like, what is he doing? He is not, cannot be the Messiah. No wonder when he began to speak and talk about God and become and to reveal himself more and more as the son of God that they were so angry with him. It was so not what they thought he should be. I wonder whether people around were curious. I wonder whether people that came that night to Levi's house as well as the followers and the disciples. I wonder were those who were just curious to see who is this Jesus? Who is this man on one hand is a teacher of the law, has people following him as his disciples, and yet he eats with tax collectors. And maybe for some of the tax collectors around that table, maybe they were going, what does he want from us? Is he wanting some of our money? Why is he here? Was there suspicion of, why is he here? But for some, we see that there's the same impact as Jesus' invitation was to Levi. Because it says there were many who followed him. There were many who followed him in that verse. It says, and there were, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. The many who followed him were his disciples, but also the sinners and the tax collectors who followed him. Wanted to be around him. Verse 16 says, When the, the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? They are incredulous. They're like, Jesus, why are you doing this? There were so many rules they had to keep sinners out. So many rules that kept the insiders in and the outsiders out. And the Pharisees didn't only just have the law of Moses and the law, they had so many then specific, specific laws about the laws. So there was like the law, and then there was like loads and loads and loads and loads of sub, like appendices onto the laws. And it was almost impossible to keep them all. And they were living their lives in this way of like, I need to keep this and I need to keep that because I want to stay an insider. Their whole lives were revolved around staying as an insider. They would look around at the outsiders and go, I don't want to be one of them. I don't want to be on the outside. I want to be on the inside. So their whole life was about being on the inside. This, like they, wanted, they, they wanted to do their best for God. I mean, I think that we need to be grace-filled. If we're going to be grace-filled looking at the tax collectors, I think we also need to be grace-filled when we look at the Pharisees and the scribes. These people had devoted their lives to live this way. But in the middle of it, I, I, I sometimes as I was looking at this, I'm thinking how much of their lives and this keeping on the inside was about fear. They were so afraid that they would become like the outsiders. 
They were so afraid that if they didn't keep up with all these things, if they didn't live their life in a way where it looked so good on the outside, where they had to follow all these rules, all these instructions, so that their lives looked righteous, so that people would think well of them, so they would never, ever become like the outsiders, that they could always be in the inside, that they could some way keep keeping the rules and ticking the boxes, then that they could be the ones that judged the sinners, and they could be the ones that looked down on everyone else, but they did not ever want to be the one to be on the other side of that. Fear, fear, fear. And I think it was fear that led them to become so consumed by the external. Because they used all of these things to judge everyone else and they knew what heavy a burden it would be to be judged in the same way. The good news of Jesus is Jesus comes with good news that is freedom and grace. Jesus comes along and it's like he doesn't play by their rules. He doesn't play by these rules. And they are affronted. And I don't mean affronted as in how we talk about being embarrassed. I realized in my new job that other people don't use affronted the same way as I do. Do you say affronted? Does it, would everybody say scundered or affronted? Just a wee sidebar. Just give us a wee bit of a light lift here a second. Scundered or affronted? Hands up for affronted. Mortified. Oh, you're just like a stick another word in the mix, Claire. Anybody say scundered? Yeah. Mortified. Just you, Claire. Okay. <clears throat> anyway, affronted. I think, uh, yeah, affronted. But this, they are affronted not in the way that they're embarrassed, but they are like, oh my goodness. This, this can't be right. It can't be right how Jesus is carrying on. Because if he's carrying on the gifts and he's bringing freedom and he's bringing grace, then where does that leave us? Where are we? Are we insiders still or are we outsiders? And where do we fit? Because it's so, so important for us that we're on the inside. And if we're not on the inside anymore and Jesus is coming with this new message and this new way of living, then where do we go? My whole life has been built on this. My whole life, the whole way I live my life, the whole way I manage my household, the whole way I manage everything in my life is so that I can have this sense of self-righteousness on the outside so that I know I'm ticking all the boxes. But all of a sudden, Jesus comes along. He's hanging out with these awful people. And they end up becoming resentful of Jesus. They resent the freedom that he brings because they prefer to stay in their own prison of self-righteousness, of the rules and the regulations and the tick boxes. And I'm going to do it this way so that I can look down on those other people who don't do it the same way as me. But yet at the same time, they're looking at the freedom that Jesus is bringing to people. And, and instead of them longing for that, it just makes them angry and annoyed. Verse 17. Jesus replies to them, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've come to call the righteous. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. We read this and we think, yeah, Jesus, that makes sense. Righteous are all sorted. You know, it makes sense that Jesus would hang out with the sinners, wouldn't it? It makes sense that Jesus would hang out with the sinners. They're the ones that really, really need him. Then we take a step back and we, 
we, we look at the whole Gospels, the whole message of Jesus, and we see that Jesus came into the world to save everyone. Because all sin and fall short of the glory of God, as Romans 3.23 says. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. See, everyone is a sinner. Jesus is not saying to the, to the Pharisees and the scribes, Oh, you're not sinners. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying that. Here's what I think Jesus is showing us. Not just in his words and his teachings, but in his actions. He says, I'm here in this moment for those who know they're sinners. I'm here for those who already know their need of me. The righteous don't think they need me yet. They think they're okay. But these ones, the outsiders, those who've been told that they're already discounted, those who are told that they already are full of sin, they're already aware of their own sin and their own lives, they're already living in a way that they know is not bringing them freedom, is not bringing them any life. These are the ones that I'm going to hang out with because they already know their need of me. The righteous don't think they need me. As we have looked and read, read this account in Mark's gospel today, this encounter between Jesus and Levi, who are you in the story? Who are you in the story? There's a way of reading scripture that is really old. And it's where we read, in particular, the Gospels, and we put ourselves in the story, and we read it. And we see where we interact with Jesus. And this morning, where are we in the story? Are, are you the observer watching in the crowd, just wanting to see what's going on? What's Jesus going to do now? What's he going to do now? Are you just observing and watching? What is Jesus going to do? Are you just there taking note of what he's saying, who he's with, what the Pharisees are saying? Are you Levi or one of his friends? Are you on the outside? Do you feel that you've always grown up on the outside of the story of God? Do you feel like you've always grown up on the outside of it, that you've always lived your life in this outside place and that you don't belong and, and, and you, you have this longing towards Jesus, but church and Christianity and whatever that looks like has always just felt like you don't belong there, that that's not your place, that there's no seat for you at that table and, and you're not quite sure, is that you? Are you looking at that and you're already aware of your own brokenness and your own sin and you're, you're living in it and you want to be free of it and you're in that place and you're like, yeah, I'm the outsider in this story. I, I, I can see myself in Levi and his friends. And you might be even full of bravado on the outside. 
and looking like you're not bothered and you don't really need Jesus and I'm okay with my life. I don't want to be on the inside anyway and I'm all right. You might be living like that and you're like, I don't want to be, I don't, I don't want to be part of this whole Jesus thing, this, this life with Jesus. I don't really want to be a follower of Jesus, but in the inside, you are just so full of your own brokenness and so aware of it that you just long to be healed. You long to be whole. Are you one of the outsiders, not by choice, but by circumstances? There would have been prostitutes at the party. There would have been people there who were unclean because of society said they were unclean. There were people there that just had been discounted in so many ways, and they would have found themselves at home with Levi and his friends. Or are you one of the righteous ones, judging, feeling upright, Obsessed with how good your life looks like on the outside. And even though maybe you've known Jesus for a long time, you've somehow become more concerned with what your life looks like on the outside than realizing our need of him. It's so easy to become blinded by our own self-righteousness. Ouch, I feel that one too, Holy Spirit, for myself. So Jesus invites us, all of us. Wherever you find yourself in this story, there is an invitation. There is an invitation to come and eat with him. There's an invitation not just to, to come close in proximity, but to know him intimately. And this morning as I finish up, if I could ask you to close your eyes, As I finish up this morning, there is an invitation from Jesus, just like he had to Levi. And it's to follow him. But it's to follow him to the table, to the place of relationship. It's to follow him to be part of his family, to be part, to come close to him to be near him. And it doesn't matter if you've known Jesus for a long time or you haven't yet given your yes to him. There are times when we keep him at a distance and we think our own self-righteousness is enough. Truth is, every single person in this room today needs Jesus. We need him. We need more of him in our lives. We need to surrender our lives more to him. Thanks for listening to this message. For all the latest information on what's happening in the life of our church, visit vineyarddungannon.co.uk.